I invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 9. And we're in a series now where we're simply examining uh, different individuals or groups of people as they have their encounters with Christ, walking about their normal day. And we'll be looking at different characters, men and women, normal average people who are walking down the street and looking at religious leaders and how does Jesus, Jesus interact with them and what can we learn from these interactions. And today we're going to see the cost of following Jesus. Because as you know and I know, there's a cost associated with anything you want to commit yourself to. If you're going to commit yourself to sports or extracurricular activities, it's going to cost you money and time. There's a cost associated with nearly anything. And we'll find with these particular gentlemen that if they're going to follow Jesus, it's, it may cost them their reputations. It could cost them relationships. And if you're going to follow Jesus, it might bring you shame, cost you money, security, comfort. And at the end of the day, you know as well as I do, especially in other parts of the world, it could cost you your life. And every study shows us every day that there are men and women and children who are dying because they're following Jesus. Several years ago, I was a new believer in Christ. Gosh, 20-some years ago now. It was my freshman year in college with Campus Crusade. And I wasn't five months old in Christ, and I knew Christian friends, and I began praying for a friend of ours, Bill. Uh, Bill was no way he was ever going to come to Campus Crusade. And one night he showed up, and it was during the talk of an evangelist who had in town. And we were so excited, we all rushed to Bill and sat around, and we got to hear the evangelist. And at the end of the message, there was an invitation to follow Jesus. And Bill raised his hand and marked on his card that he wanted to know Christ and surrender his life to Christ and follow Jesus. We were so excited. And it wasn't four or five days later, and I'm still praising God, that Bill called me. And he goes, hey, Charlie, I need to talk to you about something. I said, yeah, what's up, man? I'm so excited by your new uh, relationship with Christ. He goes, yeah, that's what I want to talk to you about. He says, ever since I prayed that prayer and I came to that meeting, my girlfriend broke up with me and I got fired from my job. My world's been turned upside down. And then he said the words I have never forgotten. He said, I regret surrendering my life to Christ. And then he hung up the phone. I didn't even have a chance to tell him, Bill, have you even considered that when you're pursuing Christ that he's going to remove from your life things that are distracting you and not helping your walk with you, with him? Have you ever considered, Bill, that now that you decided to follow Christ, that that girlfriend's not in your best interest in your walk with Christ, and the Lord dealt with it for you because he's got better plans for you? And that job is, is not the job that's going to bring you closer to Christ. He's got a different job for you, but Bill never considered those things. All he saw was that there was a cost to follow Christ, and he was not willing to pay that cost. And he gave it all up. Whether he truly believed or not, I don't know. Here's what his problem was. He just focused on the loss rather than considering the great gain. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Philippians 3.8. And for Paul, he says he considers all things lost compared to knowing Christ. In Philippians 3.8, we read, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of or compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. 
For the Apostle Paul, he was willing to forego that relationship or forego that job. Whatever it is in your heart or mind, the Apostle Paul was willing to forego it just to know Christ. He was willing to lose it all so that he may gain Christ. And today we're going to see three particular men in our passage that the Holy Spirit's going to present to us in Luke chapter 9. Who had opportunities to follow Jesus in an amazing way. At a fantastic time in the ministry of Christ as he walked the earth. But instead of focusing on their great gain, they're going to be focusing on their loss. Let's begin in Luke chapter 9 verse 57. And see what you and I can learn from these passages. And what is the Spirit of God teaching you and teaching me? The first person listed here in Luke 9, 57, we're told this is as they were going along the road, someone said to them, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds promising, doesn't it? And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another, verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What is going on here? Three different men. Three different approaches, three different encounters with Christ, and three different messages for us today. These men are, are the story of this account is happening in isolation. The larger narrative here, friends, is that Jesus is going from village to village with his disciples. And they're casting out demons, they're preaching the gospel, lost people are getting saved. Jesus is on the move. And the disciples are partnering with Christ in God's work around them. And great things are happening. And as they're walking along here, we see these, these three different individuals have this conversation with Jesus. Jesus makes the, the interaction we see here along with number one. There's Jesus initiates, or the man initiates with Jesus, and then Jesus initiates with the second man. And then the third one initiates with Jesus. Let's start in verse 57. As they were walking along the road, this was doing ministry, going from village to village. You know the context now. They were watching Jesus do his thing. And one said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. What a bold declaration. To say to Jesus, wherever you go, Lord, I will follow you. No matter what time of day you call me to go and follow you, I will be there. This looks like whole heart commitment, doesn't it? The Lord could have said, well, that's fantastic. Look, disciples, we just have another one join us. This is great. Come and join the Jesus team. But that's not what Jesus says. Matthew 8, 19, Matthew adds that this particular man is a scribe. This man has an ulterior motive for following Jesus. And Jesus is able to see right through his declaration of following him wherever he goes. How can he do this? It's because Jesus is God. Jesus knows the heart. He knows what the real issue is for this man deep inside. And he, he shows us that his mouth is not in alignment with his heart. And when that happens, sometimes we can say things that we don't truly believe. And so this man was saying things. He was giving Jesus lip service, but he truly didn't believe what he was saying in his heart. 
And Jesus can zero right into the man's heart and know what's really going on inside of him. So Jesus in verse 58, he's not going to speak to his mind or respond to his mouth. He's going to speak to his heart. And when Jesus speaks to a person's heart, it enables us to see what's really going on inside of him. Verse 58 tells us, and Jesus said to him, this is such a strange response. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man referring to himself has nowhere to lay his head. And you might've expected Jesus to say something else to continue the recruitment process. But that's not what Jesus does. The problem is the man isn't truly seeking Jesus to be a part of what Jesus is doing. The man is seeking the security and the comfort of this world. He sees Jesus as a very successful rabbi with a huge following who's a miracle worker. I bet he's got a nice palace. I bet he's got some nice hotel rooms that are four and five stars here in Israel. And I'll bet if I could join his team, he'll take care of me and I'll have this lavish lifestyle. With all the comforts, with all the security of the world, I'll be be able to have that. But Jesus says, if you follow me, you have to know I don't have a palace. I don't have the true things that you're looking for. I, I don't have a permanent place to sleep at night or that hotel room. If you follow me, there's going to be a cost and you won't even know what's happening next. Because every night Jesus is staying somewhere else. And it's a mystery to the disciples where they'll stay that night. Jesus says, if you're following me, there's going to be difficult times that are with uncomfortable circumstances. And Jesus is telling that man, I'm not able to provide what you're looking for because you're looking for worldly comfort and security. And you won't find that with Christ. He says, you're not willing to forego the comforts of this world is what Jesus tells him. And it is written here in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. How is that for a recruiting sales pitch? If you want followers, you don't tell them to deny themselves and pick up their cross. That you're going to live a life of great discomfort. But Jesus is preaching the one true gospel that in this world, the the standards of heaven are different than the standards of earth. And this word deny that he says that you must deny yourself is the word that means to disown. Friends, if you're a follower of Christ today, are you willing to disown yourself? Are you willing to set aside your own comforts, your own preferences, your own securities, your own plans for something else that Christ might have for you? Or do you follow Jesus with conditions? Luke doesn't provide this man's response. It's just implied that he doesn't follow Christ. But the man went from saying, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus, to not following him at all. I was reminded this week, putting this together, of some friends we met in seminary who loved the Lord. They were sold out for Jesus. And one night at dinner, they told Wendy and I very boldly and very proudly that we will follow Jesus wherever we go as long as we don't leave our home state. And I said, tell me more about that. And they said, well, all of our family lives in this state and we don't want to leave our family. And to this day, they've been ministering for Jesus in that state. So the question I had for them is, are you truly willing to follow Jesus wherever he calls you? Or are you going to put conditions on it and say, I'm only going to go where where I want to go? Uh, You can uh, either trust in the Lord or you don't. 
You can trust in him today for your whole future and all your provisions and, and whatever, however he wants to provide for you or you don't. Where is your trust in the Lord today when he calls you to do what he wants you to do? When he calls you to obey his word, do you trust his word in a world that's living in opposition to him? I'm reminded, I don't think I've shared the story in a main service. I know I've shared it in a Wednesday night, how to study the Bible class. But we had a German shepherd that was 110 pounds. And uh, if I was sitting in the comfortable chair in the living room and he wanted it, I'd give it to him. That was that kind of dog. I'd sit on the floor. But Jake passed away a couple years ago, but he loved to go on car rides. And anytime he heard me jingle my keys or go to get my keys, he'd be laying on the floor and his head would go up as if he's saying, do I get to go on this ride with you? And I would look at him and say, Jake, do you want to go for? And it wasn't until the, I said the word ride, that's the trigger word, that he would lose his mind. And when I said the word ride, he would run all around the house, knocking Wendy and the kids over, trying to get to the door. And I'd open the door and he'd run around the, the van multiple times trying to find any entrance he could to get in the van to go with me. Here I have a couple of pictures of Jake. Jake's there in the back, not in the front. You have to ignore the, the, the grown man with the mustache. And then Jake has the sunglasses on. He didn't mind sunglasses. But he just wanted to be in the car. He didn't mind sitting in the back seat or laying on the floor. He didn't mind being in the right seat. And the funny thing about Jake, the Lord taught me so much about my walk with him, the Lord. That Jake never one time, and this is going to sound silly, but I think you'll get the point. In the seven years we had him, he never said, I'll go for a ride with you if you tell me where we're going first. He never said, I'll go for a ride with you if you let me sit shotgun. Or if you let me drive sometime. If you let me control the radio or control the thermostat. Or if you let me stop off at my favorite store and get some dog bones. Jake never did those things. And I could have taken that van and drove it off a cliff and Jake would have wanted to sit there right next to me. Do you know why? What the difference is with him and me? Sometimes I'm tempted to put conditions on where we go with the Lord. But Jake, he didn't do that because all he wanted to do was be with the master. He trusts the master so much. He loved me so much. It didn't matter where I take him. He just wanted to be with me. There were no conditions. And as I would watch Jake run to the car and just want to sit next to me, I'm, I'm looking at myself going, Lord, I want to follow you with that much yieldedness. That I would just run around the car and look for a way to get in just so I could be with you, Master. Is that how your walk with Christ is? That when the Lord tells you, come on, let's get in the car, we're going for a ride. Are you willing to say, okay, Lord, I'm, and I'm so excited, I just want to be with you. Or do you do hesitate and say, Lord, I'm only going to go if you tell me where we're going. Paul knew the secret to contentment. And he knew that the secret of contentment in any circumstance was simply being with the Master. Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and to brought how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul shows us that the greatest delight and joy in all circumstances is not found in the circumstances, it's found in Christ. And the Apostle Paul just wanted to be with the Master. Do you desire that today? Because as I went through this, this, this man in the first story didn't want to be with Jesus. He just wanted the securities of this world. He wanted a comfortable place to stay. But he didn't simply want Jesus. 
Now in the second man we see here in this event, we're told the second man in our passage, the first man initiated to Jesus, the second one Jesus initiates with him. Look at verse 59. To another, he being Jesus said, follow me. The God of the universe and human flesh just called out a man and he invited him to follow him. What a life-changing experience. This would definitely be a diary entry, wouldn't it? I got called out today by the Lord Jesus Christ to follow him. Certainly, this man will do that. This shows us that our Lord is very invitational. He's very relational. But look at the man's response. We already start with a horrible word, but, but it's introducing a contrast. We already know this is not going to go well. But he said, Lord, let me first. And this makes me want to weep. Because I, I'm, I'm that man oftentimes. And maybe you're that man oftentimes as well. If you take notes, you should circle the word but and circle the word first. Because this man is putting conditions on following Jesus. And when he says first, what he's saying is that he has greater priorities than following Christ. That there are more important things in his life than following the call of Jesus Christ on his life. And what is his priorities over Christ's priorities? Well, the scripture shows us right here. But let me first, this is a sequence of order, it's prioritized, go and bury my father. And Jesus is going to reveal something to us about this situation that we wouldn't normally just see in the text. If the man's father were dying or needing to be buried, he would not be walking down the road. He'd be with his father. So Jesus says this in verse 60. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Again, here we see the man's priority versus Jesus's priority. What does it look like for a, a dead person to bury a dead person? That doesn't make any sense. So there must be a different meaning. And most scholars would agree that what Jesus is saying here is let those who are spiritually dead go and bury those who are physically dead. But for those who are alive in Christ, to those who have been called to Christ, who are born again, there is a greater priority. And what is that priority? Jesus says right here. He says to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he tells the man, let other people deal with that. Why would the man care about going to bury his father? Well, many scholars say perhaps it's because he was caring more about his inheritance. That his father wasn't dying at that particular moment, but he wanted to go home and wait for his father to die so he could get the money and the property. He wasn't trusting the Lord Jesus to care for him and provide for him. He had greater priorities. And Jesus is saying to those who follow him, your greatest priority is to pro proclaim the gospel, to go and reach lost people. For this man, the, the first man, the issue was security and comfort, wasn't it? But for this particular man, we see he has no sense of urgency in following Christ. How is your level of urgency today in following Christ? Is it your top priority? And if it's not, do you want it to be your top priority? Because my hope and prayer for you and for me and for my family and my children is that our desire to follow Jesus Christ would be our number one priority in our lives. And the world desperately wants to make other things the priority in your life besides following Jesus or instead of following him. And here Romans 16 talks to us about the power of the gospel. Romans 16 said, it's the power of God for salvation 
So what Jesus is saying is that the greater work for those who follow him is to be a soul winner. Are you a soul winner? How much of your time do you spend praying for lost people? Praying for lost spouses or family members or children or maybe next door neighbors? This man, his priority was seeking treasure on earth and not seeking treasure in heaven. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And we have to stop continually as we read through these passages and ask, where is your heart? Or where is your treasure? Is your treasure on things that are eternal, that will last forever? On the work of Christ that he's called you to in your life? Or is your, is your heart set on the things of this world, on things that will perish? The gospel is meant to be spoken. And it's only by faith in the gospel that one can be granted entrance into the kingdom of God. Do you believe the gospel message? For this particular man, following Christ was not a priority. But I want to read for you when Peter and Andrew and John and James were called, listen to their response. It's a drastic difference than this man in the story. In Matthew 4, 18 through 22, we're told, while he was, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called, who was called Peter and Andrew, his brother. They were casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the word tells us immediately, at that very moment, it was like a a switch had flipped in their brain. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. There were no conditions. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in a boat where Zebedee, their father, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boats, their boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. Dr. Stephen Lawson said, if you're not fishing for men, you're not following for Jesus. It is the heart of our Savior to be a soul winner, to seek and save the lost. And finally, we have one more person in this encounter, and then we'll wrap up with our application. Verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. And then look at the next word. But... That should have been a period right there, shouldn't there? It should have been an exclamation point. Should be the end of the sentence, the end of the paragraph, beginning of a new chapter. But that's not what happens. I will follow you, Lord, but let me first. Here we are again with that but and first. And friends, when you say I will follow the Lord, do you say I will follow the Lord, period, exclamation point? Or do you say I will follow him but first? And let's see what this man's exceptions are. Because he's got a condition here. He's put in a caveat, some clauses. This would be like a contractual arrangement. I'll follow you, but I've got something else I need to do. What is it? Well, he says to say farewell to those at home. Verse 62, Jesus says to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus could very well be referencing 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. When Elijah called Elisha to be a prophet, Elisha was plowing the oxen in the field. And when he received his call to be a prophet, he slaughtered the oxen. 
That's an immediate response, isn't it? And by slaughtering the oxen, he was saying, I'm not going to be going back to this. I'm removing every possible temptation to go back to what I was doing previously because I'm going to follow the call of the Lord. Loving our family, one commentator writes, should never weaken our love and devotion to Christ. Does your family encourage your devotion to Christ? Or does your family weaken your devotion to Christ? Jesus uses the metaphor here of a farmer. Plowing is a a work of a farmer who's sowing seed and harvesting. And it's a picture of the gospel work in our lives. That we would sow the seeds of the gospel and harvest the the souls that the Lord awakens. And here we see uh, Jesus doubles down this man and says, No one who, who holds his hand to plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Farmers would say that if, a, if you're pushing a plow or holding onto a plow, you've got to look straight ahead because if you look anywhere else, the ox will begin to veer and the plow will turn. And they must look straight ahead to accomplish the task they're called to do. This reminds me in 1519 when Explorer Cortez arrived to what is now Mexico, we had 600 men. They were tired and hungry and they did not want to fight to conquer the land because of their exhaustion. So Cortez did the unthinkable. He ordered his men to burn their ships. They were kept looking back at their ships because they kept thinking, why don't we just get back on our ships and sail back to where we came because life would be so much easier. But by burning the ships, Cortez gave them no option but to move forward and to do what they were called to do. Friend, do you have things in your life that are holding you back from following Christ? Maybe you have relationships or hobbies or, or entertainment. Who knows what it is? The list is endless. But as I examine my own soul this week, I want to try to find ships in my own life that I must burn so that I'm not tempted to go back to those, but I may keep my hand on the plow and looking forward for all of us to be doing what the Lord Jesus has called us to do. This requires a wholehearted commitment. And what this man lacked here in this particular, for the third man here is focus. He lacked focus because he was distracted. The first man lacked security and comfort or he desired it the second man didn't have jesus as a priority and the third man here lacked to focus he just was too distracted by the things of this world so here i leave you with just several points to think about or points to ponder for this message number one we take these from our passage that following christ requires self-denial in each of these situations these men were not willing to deny themselves They had their own interests. They had their own goals. They had their own plans, their own preferences. And they clung to those rather than to cling to Jesus Christ, who is the greater treasure. Not only does following Christ require self-denial, but it requires obedience to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, we're told this. Paul writes, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Let me repeat that. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price to glorify God in your body. Friends, you and I, for those of us who believe, we are not our own. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is our master. Paul was sold out for Jesus. He writes in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, in the Greek language there, it's more emphatic. In the Greek language, it literally says, for me to live, Christ, and to die, gain. 
The Apostle Paul says, for everything he does in this world is, is for the master. Every desire, every plan, every preference that he has is for the glory of Jesus Christ. He wants to live for him. Are you living in submission to Christ in his word for his glory? John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, do you love Christ today? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In Matthew 28, which is the last part of the Great Commission, we've already been told to to go and make disciples and baptize them. But in Matthew 28, Jesus says, teaching them. What are we to teach them, Lord? What are we to teach the new disciples and current disciples? Well, you're to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always to the ends of the age. Obedience to Christ is a demonstration to your love for Christ. Have you considered that lately? I've been going through this passage all week, examining my own soul, confessing sin, repenting. To Lord, I want to be obedient to you in every possible way. Please help me. Lead me with your spirit. In John 13, uh, 34 through 35, Jesus says this to the disciples. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. He's talking to believers. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It would have been a whole lot easier for Jesus to say, people will know you're my disciples if you wear a cross, wouldn't it? Or people will say, they'll they'll know you're my disciples if you just put a fish on the back of your car. That'd be a lot easier. But Jesus raised the stakes. He says, people will know that you are followers of mine by the way you treat your other brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're not loving each other well, we're not following Christ well. And to love each other well means following Christ well. In the New Testament, there are a hundred times this word one another is used. In describing how God's people, the sheep, are to interact with each other. And I have a list for you. We're going to put up on the screen. I'm going to move through this very quickly. But there's 59. I'm not going to read all of these. That deal directly associate with how we are to regard one another. Uh, 59. We are to love one another. Be devoted to one another. By the way, the command love one another occurs 16 times in the New Testament. It only needs to appear one time, but the Lord made sure it appears 16 times that God's people love one another, that we are devoted to one another, that we honor one another above yourself, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded, accept one another, admonish one another, greet one another, care for each other, serve one another, bear one another, forgive Be patient with, speak truth and love, be kind and compassionate with one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns, submit to one another. Consider others better than yourself. Look to each other's interest, look to the interest of one another. Bear with one another, teach, comfort, encourage, exhort, stir up one another to love and to do good works. Show hospitality. Employ the gifts that God has given you for the benefit of each other. Clothe yourself with humility. Pray for one another. Confess your faults with one another. And then there's a handful, a small handful of negative commands. And these are the Lord's commands to each of us through his word. Do not lie to one another. 
Stop passing judgment on one another. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other, Galatians 5.15. Let us not become conceited, provoking each other or envying each other. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against each other. We do all this because we are in a real sense members of one another, Romans 12 tells us. The Lord cares very much about how we, we interact with each other as a loving family. And these are his commands for all of us. Are you willing to pay the price to follow Christ by obeying his words? The second application or point to ponder is this. That following Christ requires urgency for the mission. That Jesus gave us his instruction. And his instructions are to go proclaim the gospel as an urgent matter. Why? Because people are dying and going to hell every day. People all around us. It was certainly urgent for our Lord that we do this. Is it urgent for you and me? Is it urgent that we proclaim Christ with others? I've been so encouraged lately by many of your testimonies. You've come in the office or called me and just told me how you're finding random opportunities to share Christ with people. And it's just so exciting to hear your stories and your testimonies. That, that gets me fired up. And you've heard it say before that the object of your gaze will determine your ways. And are you looking at the things of this world or are you looking to Christ for your motivation and your encouragement, for your zeal? Jesus said it best, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The church has been called by Christ to be on a soul winning mission. Finally, the third application or point to think about, and it's very short and we'll wrap up is this. That following Christ requires focus on the master. From the moment you wake up, the world is trying to de-Christianize you. From the time that you go to bed. From the time that you wake up and you get on social media, you read the newspaper, turn it on TV. The world is trying to get you to care more about the things of this world and make them a priority in your life. But the master is calling all of us who belong to him to keep our eyes focused on him. And on his commands for our lives and his word. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you're going to care about other people knowing him. Is that your heart today? Are you willing to pay the cost to follow Jesus? Because it's going to be a big cost for each of us. And my hope and prayer is that we could all say before we leave here today, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I just want to be close to my master. And when you say it's time to go for a ride, I just want to be sitting by your side. And I trust you with all the outcome. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, for the example of these three men in Luke chapter 9. who They had more things who were important than following Jesus. And if we're honest, there's probably parts of these men that represent each of us here today. Because we're sinners. We are unworthy of the call. But Father, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Everything that was needed for us to be saved was accomplished at the cross. Father, I ask if there's anyone here that came in not knowing you, that you would burden their spirit, that you would convict them of their sins and open their eyes to the gospel that Jesus died for them. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And Lord, for each of us, would you make Jesus our priority? Would you let us seek the treasures of, of, of earth, not of earth, of heaven, that we would disavow the treasures of earth, that we would seek to please you by obeying you and showing our love for you, and desiring to share the gospel with those around us that other people might get saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.